Hey, welcome to our online sermons at Coastal Community Church. So glad that uh, you're checking these sermons out on our internet and, and on our website. And so I want to welcome you. And, and I do want to encourage you that these sermons, online sermons, should be a supplement to your spiritual growth. But one of the things that we're big believers in at Coastal Community Church and I uh, want to encourage you is to find a home church uh, where you can not only grow in teaching, but also grow in community with other believers. So if you don't have a home church near you and you live in the Hampton Roads area, we'd love to invite you to Coastal Community Church. We just recently moved uh, to 101 Village Avenue. We have two services, uh, 915 and 11, and we'd love for you to check out one of our services here in the community. Over the summer, uh, a lot of changes going on at Coastal Community Church. We're changing locations, and, and part of what we wanted to focus on in the summer as we move into our new location is to remind us of the one thing that doesn't change and won't change at Coastal, and that's that we wanted to lift up the person and the work of God's Son, Jesus Christ. So Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, the letter of Hebrews is the perfect letter to remind us that Jesus is greater than anything we could imagine. And so I hope you'll join us and enjoy this sermon called Greater Than. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 13. We're going to be concluding our series in the book of Hebrews. It's going to come to a close and we're going to be looking at the benediction that the Hebraic author gives to the Hebraic church and that by God's grace we have preserved for us Today, Hebrews chapter 13, we're going to look at verses 20 through 21. The Word of God says this, Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for allowing us to gather here together on this Sunday, Lord, on this day that you've set apart for your church to gather and worship you in spirit and in truth. And Lord, I thank you that we've been reminded this morning already of this gift, this gift of salvation, Lord, through singing. And God, I pray that, uh, Lord, over the next few minutes that you would remind us again through the preaching of your word. So I pray your Holy Spirit would give us understanding, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, Lord. Give us humble hearts, so that we can leave here more conformed into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. And I pray all this in his name alone. Amen. Now, this is the, the benediction for the book of Hebrews. And a benediction is, is usually given at the, the end of a, a worship service, and it, it's a blessing that includes a, a, a guidance for believers. Uh, in ancient worlds, uh, benedictions were important to, a, uh, to an address, and specifically in a Jewish con- context, a benediction was an, an aspect of worship. And as we've seen time and time again throughout this study, the, the Hebraic author, he's, he's intentional about every single word that he's given to this particular church. And this benediction is no exception. If you're taking notes, I'd have you kind of shorthand this, but the the Hebraic author, his aim is is to build uh, unity 
and a spirit of perseverance among the believers by reminding them of the gospel in, in this benediction. Okay, his, his aim is to build unity in a, in a spirit of perseverance by reminding the church of the gospel in this benediction. Okay, as we've seen throughout this study, sermon after sermon after sermon, Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies and the fulfillment of God's covenant to save his people, his church. Now, if you're, you're actively involved in a, in a small group here at Coastal Community Church, you're gonna remember that one of the questions from last week was, was how would you use Hebrews chapter 13, verses 10 through 16, which was our text la- last week, how would you use that text to communicate the gospel in order to remind a fellow believer of who they are in Christ or to evangelize an unbeliever? And this coming week, we're gonna have that same question in the sermon questions for this particular text. And, and the reason why we have that is we want you to see the gospel narrative all throughout the word of God, from Genesis to Revelation. And so over the next 30 minutes, I pray that you'll labor with me to, to faithfully interpret this benediction. And by the end of it, Lord willing, we'll see Christ, we'll savor Christ, and uh, we'll be changed by the gospel together on this Lord's day. Uh, We're going to be jumping around the scriptures this morning, and I wanted to encourage you that if you have a Bible, to utilize the the Bible that you own, or if you don't own a Bible, there should be one in the seat in front of you. Take that one home. That's our gift to you. And and I want to encourage you to use your Bible for two reasons, uh, rather than just solely depending on the screen, is one, it gets you familiar with how to navigate your own Bible, and secondly, if you don't mind marking it up. You can jot down little things in, in your Bible so that when you flip back to certain particular passages, you know what what the Lord through his word was communicating to you when you uh, read that passage last. But because I'm only preaching on two verses this morning, it, it really gives us a chance to, to just soak in these two passages, to, to soak in what the Hebraic author is communicating at the close of this letter, okay? The, this benediction, it, it's broken up, and I can't remember if I have it in your notes or not, but it's broken up into two parts, uh, and the two parts are the two verses in the first part of this benediction, the, the author of Hebrews is communicating what God did to Christ. So if that's not in your notes, I would put that the first part of this benediction, the Hebraic author is communicating what God did to Christ. In the second part of this benediction, the author of Hebrews is communicating what he's praying for the local church, particularly this church in Hebrews, but certainly it's applicable to us today. And so let's, let's take it piece by piece, let's savor it, and let's be changed by it. Look with me at the first part of verse 20 in Hebrews chapter 13. This is what God has done to Christ. We'll work through it here. The first part says, now may the God of peace. Now may the God of peace. All right, th- think through this context. Now, this isn't just a, a, a passing comment that the, the author of Hebrews just flippantly makes, and, and we shouldn't just, just breeze by it without giving it some consideration. Now, that's the temptation for those of us who have grown up in the church, if we've been around church life long enough, we, we can fall in the temptation to just kind of breeze past certain passages of Scripture without applying our mind to it, Right? What we need to realize is this, the author, he spent an entire sermon or or an entire letter exalting Christ and demonstrating to the church that God has brought peace 
through Jesus Christ. And this benediction is a reminder of that. So think about that for a moment, right? Last week, we, just, we, we, we discussed that, that, that the church is living in this, the, this divisive period of time, right? Judaism is, is passing away, right? The religion that they've known is passing away, and God, through Jesus, has, has ushered in this, this, this coming age, this new age, this, the, the, the way, Christianity, right? It, it's... He's ushered in the new covenant, which is really a fulfillment of the old covenant, right? Or, or better put, it's, it's the, the logical conclusion of the old covenant or the old covenant taken further. Right? It was always God's plan to save his people through sacrificing his son, Jesus Christ. So there, there's, t- there's tension in this, this early church period because, because the age that was, Judaism's passing away, Christianity... Is, is this new covenant that God through Christ has ushered in. And some of the audience, they're, they're facing the temptation to abandon their profession of faith and embracing Judaism again because they're facing persecution. And persecution, it doesn't seem peaceful, right? We're looking at now, the may, now may the God of peace. But this period of time that the early church is living in, it doesn't seem very peaceful. And we could say that today. But for some reason, the author of Hebrews, he commends to them Yahweh as the God of peace. Right? We're, we're tempted to use the word chaos when we think about the early church, right? right? Think, think through some of the, the, life of the, the lives of the apostles. They had no place to, to lay their heads. They were constantly on the go. They lived day to day. They faced opposition and persecution on a, a daily basis at no fault of their own. They had to stay strong for the people that they were to shepherd, even though there were times where I could imagine that their faith was weak. They were beaten for their profession. They were imprisoned for their profession. They were murdered for their profession. And in the midst of all that, the author of Hebrews commends the God of peace to the church as a final exhortation, an act of worship. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. God is at peace with us and is providing peace for us through Jesus. God is at peace with us and he's providing peace for us through Jesus. And this is something that it's not just relevant for the early church, it's relevant for us today, isn't it? All right, we have brothers and sisters all over the world today that are, that are being imprisoned and executed for their faith in, in Jesus Christ. We have believers all over the world who, who have to meet in secret to gather as God's church for fear of persecution. Right, here, here in America, we're, receiving, um, we're being faced with receiving lawsuits and other legal repercussions if, if we don't acknowledge the validity of a lifestyle that the Bible clearly calls sin. I don't have to list those sins. Everybody in this room knows what I'm talking about, right? And we have to remember that in the midst of this, God through Christ brings peace. I think sometimes we lose focus of this and we begin to to panic, right? So how does God bring peace when it seems like there's no peace? I think the Apostle Paul gives us some insight into this in Romans chapter 16. He says this, he says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. 
the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. God brings peace by crushing Satan. Isn't that exciting? God brings peace by crushing Satan. Listen to God preach the gospel to Satan, to the serpent, right in Genesis 3.15. I love this. This is God speaking. I will put enmity between you, the serpent, and the woman, Eve, and between your offspring and her offspring. He, speaking of Christ, shall bruise your head and you, the serpent, shall bruise his heel. Get this, church. Christ is the great snake crusher. That's exciting, isn't it? Christ is the great snake crusher. Christ has crushed the head of the serpent through his life, his death, and his resurrection. When I was a kid growing up in South Georgia, uh, you learned very quickly not to be afraid of snakes. And there was this rattlesnake that we found in our neighborhood uh, one day. And I was probably, I was probably 10 and me and a buddy of mine thought that it would be funny to kill the snake and to take it and put it on my front porch because my mom was at home and my dad was at work and then to knock on the front door and then run away. And then my mom opens the door and sees this snake. What I didn't know is that when you kill a snake, right when he, you know, he's dead, he's still moving and he's still uh, dangerous. He can still bite you and venom can still get in you. It's a super dangerous thing. And so I, I grabbed the snake, killed the snake. We put it on the front porch, knocked on the door, ran away, thinking it would be super funny. And my mom beat the tar out of me. <laughs> she beat the tar out of me. I learned really quick the, the dangers of a dead snake, right? But I, I think that it could be profitable, right, to, to think of Satan and his work in this way. It's, it's very limited, I think sometimes we give him too much power and we give him too much attention. It's, it's bad theology to think that, that the God of the cosmos has an opposite. God of the cosmos doesn't have an opposite. Satan is a created pawn that Jesus Christ crushed. And as a believer, we need to, to understand and make it a practice to remember that the battle's over and the battle is won. Satan is defeated in the same way that I killed a rattlesnake in South Georgia. He, he, he's crushed, but in his demise, he can still be dangerous. Now get this, Satan is, is not only crushed, but this world is not his. It's Christ's. And he's conquering it through the great commission. That's the beauty of Psalm 110.1. It says this, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make my enemy, until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. How does, how does, how does God make Christ's enemies his footstool? It's through his church faithfully heralding the gospel. When will Christ stand again to return? According to this text, when all his enemies are his footstool. And who is the last enemy to be defeated when Christ returns? According to Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, it says this, the last enemy that will be abolished is what? Death. For he has put all things in subjection under his feet. The last enemy to be defeated is death. I hope this encourages you, Coastal. 
Listen to what Jesus prophesies about himself and then fulfills in his crucifixion and resurrection in Mark 3. It says, and if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, then indeed he may plunder his house. Jesus was telling his audience that he and he alone has the power to bind the strong man. Christ has rendered Satan defeated because of his life, his death, and his resurrection, and he's given us the power of the Holy Spirit to live lives in opposition to the world, the flesh, and the devil as we cherish and savor who God is for us in Jesus. So because of Jesus, we're at peace with God and have the peace of God in a world that exhibits hostility toward the peace of God. Okay, so, so think of spiritual warfare in those terms, right? It's not good for us to just ignore spiritual warfare as if it doesn't exist. That's not biblical. But it's idolatry to be so aware of it that in some, some odd way, we make Satan and his work this, this equal opposition to our Savior who created everything. Continue to look with me in verse 20 here, the second part of it who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. This is the only reference to to Christ's resurrection in the book of Hebrews. Uh, The the author of Hebrews, he spends the entire book on the the ascension or the exaltation of Jesus Christ. The ascension of Christ assumes the resurrection of Christ, but here he reminds his audience and us that God brought Jesus Christ back from the dead. If you're taking notes, this is very important. The gospel is Trinitarian. The gospel is Trinitarian. If we don't communicate the Trinity when we proclaim the gospel, then we aren't communicating the gospel. In this benediction alone, I think we see evidence for the Trinity, right? We have to think contextually to do so. But the God of peace brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ. And and the the Hebraic audience would have known that the God of peace brought Jesus from the dead through the power of the Holy Spirit, right? They've been taught that. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 8, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The Apostle Peter echoes that when he says, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous Christ for the unrighteous us, that he may bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but made alive again in the what? The spirit. See, the the author of Hebrews, he's reminding the church of the role of the Trinity in the gospel and encouraging them that the power that raised Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior from the dead, lives inside of us when we repent of our sin and we trust in his person and work alone. Therefore, we, we can persevere as the early church persevered, right? And we can experience true peace as the early church experienced true peace in, a, in the midst of a volatile cultural climate. The Holy Spirit lives in you that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And let's keep moving through this first verse. The great shepherd of the sheep. I love, I love that imagery, probably just about more than any other imagery uh, in all of the Bible when it refers to our Savior. He's the great shepherd of the sheep, right? Jesus is the fulfillment of this. In Isaiah 40, verse 11, it says, He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms, and he will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. All right, we know Christ is the fulfillment of this passage because he says it in John chapter 10, doesn't he? Listen to this and just soak this in for a moment. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock. One flock. And one shepherd. Jesus intimately cares for a sheep. Jesus intimately cares for a sheep. The, the early church isn't unique in needing to hear this message. Right, we discussed some of this last week, but, but no matter where you are in life, I want you to hear me this morning. Jesus intimately cares for his church. Jesus intimately cares for his church. He cares so much that he laid his life down for the church. He cares so much that, that he defends us from the wolves that try to snatch us away. Doesn't that bring you comfort to know that, 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 that Christ is with us and he's, he's persevering us and he's interceding for us before God the Father? We have a good shepherd. And the Lord's voice is familiar and soothing to his church. I love what God promises to do through Christ in Ezekiel 34. Actually, we went over this with our small group leaders a few weeks ago. But listen at this. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he's among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I Seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they've been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness and I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture and on, good, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture. They shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. Isn't that comforting to you, believer? All right, Christ leads us to rest. And I don't know about you, but it can, this life, this side of eternity can be a weary one, can it? It can be a weary life. 
Right? There's a lot of people in this room this morning that are just tired. Not just because it's early, right? but it can just be tired from life. And sometimes it just feels like there's one blow after another at no fault of your own. But Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, leads you to rest. I love Matthew 11, right? I won't read it, but he invites us to come, right? Those who are heavy laden, those who carry burdens, he invites, he invites us to come to him, right? And, and we carry a lot of burdens in this life, right? And I think the biggest burden we carry is the burden of sin, Jesus Christ takes that upon himself and he's crucified for it. And the wrath of God is poured out on him. And he, he invites us to come, come to me, come to me. Christ leads us to rich pasture to graze. Christ seeks the lost. He binds up the injured. Christ strengthens the weak. Christ cares for his church. This reminds me of Psalm 23, right? Are any of you guys thinking of Psalm 23? Right, I won't read it, but here are just a few verses. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I, I, I don't have any need because Christ is my shepherd, is what he's saying. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for what? For his namesake. If there, there's chaos and calamity in your heart, look to your good shepherd, church. Right? We all need to hear this, don't we? Right? Center yourselves on the person and work of Jesus Christ. And I believe the Lord um, provides us some practical means by which we can do this. And I'll just kind of list them out. I'm not gonna expand on them. But here, here are some practical means that the Lord graciously provides us this side of eternity to help us center on his person and his work, his written word. Communion with God through prayer. I know Marty has a prayer night every Saturday at your home, right, brother? At his home, spending time communing with God. Had Kent come up to me after the service last week to let me know that they prayed specifically for me on Saturday, and that means the, the world to me. But God provides us a mean by which to find rest in him, and one of those means is prayer, communing with God through prayer. Another means is the local church, right? The, the gathering of the body of Christ. Another means he provides for us is is the Lord's Supper, right? That's the gospel made visible for us. And if you wanna know how to get started on any of these, or if you wanna learn more about any of these means that the Lord provides us, we do a, a blog on a weekly basis called Approaching Sunday. I don't know how many of you engage with that, that post or not, but this particular week, uh, we tease out how you can get involved in each one, of these, um, each one of these means that the Lord provides for us. And, and, and that's a good way. Just, by the way, I, I think we should be anticipating Sunday morning as a church, right? One of, one of the things that I think our, our culture has, has lost sight of real easy in, in the world of uh, I, just distractions, right? It, it, it's not necessarily unique to us, but, but man, the Lord set apart this day for us Sunday morning to come together to worship him in spirit and in truth, to fellowship with one another, to be reminded of the gospel through singing of the word, through preaching of the word, through gathering together, and we don't anticipate it, right? 
we think of it more as kind of a, like, this is something that you have to do uh, as a Christian rather than, man, this is my joy and I can't, I can't, I long for this. And so this, the, the, the post that we put up is, is to help you to anticipate Sunday morning, but we hope that you're putting these disciplines in place that the Lord gives you so that our hearts can be softened to the things of God. I don't know about you, but man, if I, if I go for a, a period of time without spending time in the Word of God and, and spending time communing with God through prayer, I, and my heart grows callous and cold and distant and I don't like who I quickly become, right? I begin to live like the, the, the orphan. But, but put these, 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 just this, these means that God has graciously given to us so that we can fellowship with him and so that we can anticipate Sunday morning. Continue to look with me. Verse 20D is what I'm calling it by the blood of the eternal covenant. God God made an eternal agreement with the Son regarding his crucifixion for the ultimate payment for sin. The, the, The death of Christ, his spilled blood, satisfied God the Father's divine wrath towards sin, amen? Right, this is how God keeps his word to Abraham. Genesis chapter 22, I love this. It says, and the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this, speaking of sacrificing Isaac, and God stopped me, man, have not withheld your, your son, your only son. I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you've obeyed my voice. Think about that passage, right? We're, we're in good company, aren't we? God's promise to Abraham is that his offspring will be as numerous as the stars of heaven. And this is pre-Hubble telescope, isn't it? Abraham, he doesn't, galaxy upon galaxy upon galaxy, right? He's just looking up in the stars and he's like, man, that's a lot. The sand on the shore, it'd be a job to count that, right? We're not alone, God is saving a multitude all throughout church history to today to those who go after us and he's keeping his word through the finished work of Jesus Christ. So the averted sacrifice of Isaac that's being referenced in in Genesis 22 here points us to the finished work of Jesus Christ. God through Christ makes the offspring of Abraham more than the stars of heaven and as the sands that are on the seashore. Which leads me to my next point. We just sang about it with the song that Joel wrote. God is faithful to his promise. God is faithful to his promise. Right? Again, think about the significance of that for the suffering church. God through Christ, he... he solved man's, not, not God's biggest dilemma. God doesn't have a dilemma, right? He solved man's dilemma, and that, which is our eternal separation from him. So how much more will he persevere us in the midst of earthly trials and tribulations? It's the greater to lesser argument, isn't it? 
I think so many times we, as Christians, we believe that God doesn't keep his word. And I often think that it's because we think he's promised us something that he really hasn't promised to us, right? We think that, that, that God doesn't keep his word because we, we believe that he's promised us things that he actually hasn't promised to us, right? God, God hasn't promised us our best life now, right? You can just put that book down and turn that program off on television, right? He has promised us that we would be persecuted for our faith, hasn't he? That God has promised, right? God hasn't promised that, that our road, our journey in this life would be easy. But, but he has promised that he'll always be with us, right? The, the best way to be confident of what the Lord has promised and, and to be confident that to know that our Lord is a promise keeper is through daily digesting his word, right? Just as a sidebar, do you know that if you read three chapters a day, for six days, and then you go home and after a Sunday morning service, and you, you read four chapters. So three chapters Monday through Saturday, four chapters on Sunday. You could read through the entire Bible on an annual basis. Right? We need to digest the Word of God so that we can have confidence in the God that we worship. Now, the benediction so far has been about what God has done to Jesus Christ and. and Lord willing, you've seen its implications for our lives, but now the, the author of Hebrews is pointing, uh, he's petitioning God on behalf of the church and he's letting them know what he's praying for them, okay? So what, this is what the Hebraic author prays for the church. Verse 21, right at the very beginning, equip you with everything good that you may do as will. Equip you with everything good that you may do as will, right? That's, that's the big question that we often ask God, isn't it? Right, what, what is your will for my life? It, you know, that's, that's the question that we ask. And as a side note, there's an excellent, very small book that I give out a lot that I, I'll commend to you if you're jotting down notes. It's called this, Just Do Something or How to Make a Decision Without Dreams, Visions, Fleeces, Impressions, Open Doors, Random Bible Verses, Casting Lots, Liver Shivers, Writing in the Sky, etc. By Kevin DeYoung. I commend that book to you. But asking for God's will for our life, that isn't unique to any age, is it? Right? Everybody is asking that question. All of us seek God's will for our everyday decisions as we seek to honor him with our lives. But really, really, when we, we look at the big picture of things, what is God's will for our life? What is God's will for our life? Right? God's will for his church is revealed to us in Scripture. God's will for his church is revealed to us in Scripture. And there's two things I want to I draw out of, of this particular passage. Or actually take you to a couple of passages. But God's will is for His church to be sanctified. First and foremost, right? First Thessalonians chapter 4. Paul says this, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God. Your what? Sanctification. That you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. 
For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Okay, here's the deal. Christ upheld all of this for you. Amen? Right? Because we've all broken this, haven't we? Christ has upheld all of this for you, and God the Father has deposited his Holy Spirit in you so that you now have the capacity to be obedient to 1 Thessalonians 4, right? I I believe that Christians fail to pursue sexual purity and holiness and honor and love when they forget who they are in Christ. That's our issue, isn't it? That's why we need the Word of God the anchor of our lives. That's, that's why we need the, 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 the Holy Spirit in us. That's why we need to honestly live in a God-centered community of believers that will remind us of who we are. We aren't orphans in this world, right? We, we, but we sure do revert and act as if we are at times. Uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, the Lord Jesus has distributed righteousness to you and you now have the freedom to live in a response to that. So the Apostle Paul, along with the Hebraic author, along with all of the Bible is saying, be who you are, this is the will of God. Next is God's will for his church is for us to partake in the joy of, of God fulfilling the Great Commission. We're to partake of the joy of God fulfilling the Great Commission. Jesus sums this up for us in Matthew 28, right? If you've been in church life for a while, this is familiar to you. And Jesus came to them and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Right, Jesus has authority now. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age, right? Jesus is saying, go in my authority. I have authority in heaven. I have authority on earth. Therefore, announce this to the nations and baptize them in the authority of your king and teach them all of my word. I'll never leave you. That's what Jesus is saying, right? God the Father has given Christ complete freedom over all. This means all freedom to impose his authority in heaven and on earth, all freedom to impose his authority on every disciple, and all freedom to impose his authority over every person and every nation. On the basis of his authority, believers are to go and follow his instructions completely. Right? And, and, and here's the beauty of God's will for you to grow in sanctification. And here's the beauty of God's will for you to go and evangelize in the authority of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's his will for you to be faithful in your immediate context. It's his will for you to be faithful to those things in your immediate context, right? So often we live lives, and we've all been guilty of it at some point, right? But, but so often we live our lives based off of what we want our future selves to be, don't we? Right? That's, and, 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 and we say, when I get here or, or when I'm able to get that promotion or that job or that degree, then I'll fill in the blank, 
Right, so often we're, we're so busy daydreaming about our future selves that we fail to be obedient to what God has called us to today. Right, God's will for you today is to remember the gospel in your immediate context and to herald the gospel in your immediate context. It, it, it doesn't matter if you're in middle school or if you're in high school or if you're in college or if you're working at Walmart. God has you right where you are so that you can be obedient right where you are. Tomorrow isn't promised to us, is it? Today is what we have. Are we gonna be faithful stewards of this precious gospel message today? God through Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he's given us everything we need to execute the will of God. And this leads us to the next part of the benediction. Working in us that which is pleasing in a sight through Jesus Christ. God works through us because of the person and work of Jesus. One commentator says this, not only does God provide every grace to his people that will enable them to do his will through Jesus Christ, he also accomplishes in us what is pleasing to him. Every aspect of our lives should be an expression of our worship to the Lord. I think it's it's profitable, and I mentioned this earlier, but I think it's profitable for us to think of Sunday mornings as the culmination of who we are and what we do outside the four walls of this church building. Surely when our lives are converted by the power of the gospel, we won't compartmentalize or fail to savor and worship who God is for us in Jesus. Sunday to Sunday, God has enabled us to express worship to him that's acceptable, right? Think back to several weeks ago, Pastor Sean preached Hebrews chapter 12, verses 28 through 29. Love that passage. He says, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and all for our God is a consuming fire. All right, we, we need to consider that we're receiving a kingdom that is sure and that is unshakable. And it's on the merits of Christ and Christ alone, amen? And because of that, God has given us everything we need to bring acceptable worship to him with reverence and with all. Look with me at the final part of this benediction. I'm gonna close our time together. The final part says this, and how appropriate. To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. We were saved for the glory of God and we serve for the glory of God. This is our joy. We were saved for the glory of God and we serve for the glory of God and this is our joy. This is one of the things that I read on a daily basis to to just remind me who God is for me in Christ. This is the Baptist Confession of Faith, 1689, and I just wanted to read you a brief piece from it, just to remind us for a moment in a succinct statement that we stand on the merits of Christ and Christ alone. It says, this office the Lord Jesus did most willingly undertake, which that he might discharge, he was made under the law and did perfectly fulfill it and underwent the punishment due to us, which we should have borne and suffered being made sin and a curse for us, enduring most grievous sorrows in his soul and most painful sufferings in his body, was crucified and died and remained in the state of the dead, yet saw no corruption. On the third day, he arose from the dead with the same body in which he suffered. 
with which he also ascended into heaven and there sits at the right hand of his father making intercession and shall return to judge men and angels at the end of the world. Through Jesus Christ, we have the honor and the privilege to offer a sacrifice of praise to God. The outworking of our obedience to God is made possible through the personal work of Jesus. He's done the work, amen? Christ has done the work. Therefore, all glory and all honor is due to him and him alone. And the believer has to say amen to this, right? The believer understands the depths of his depravity, his utter helplessness to save himself. But God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. All praise and glory to God. And it's our joy to serve him now and for eternity. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for sending Christ to crush the head of the serpent. And I thank you, Lord, for depositing your Holy Spirit in us so that we can be obedient to what you've called us to do. Just live for your glory and proclaim the good news. Lord, I just thank you for this time that we've had together, Lord. I pray, God, that even when we leave today, Lord, that we would be mindful that you were faithful to your promises. And the evidence of that is that you crushed the God-man on the cross and brought him back from the dead through your Holy Spirit. So we remember that this morning. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.